You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. You can text notes to the number that comes on the screen and uh, we'll send you some ministry notes. I'm gonna invite my beautiful wife, Heather Schott, to the pulpit today as we minister together. We are stewarding a prophetic word on Reformation. Someone say Reformation. Reformation is when you make the crooked ways straight. Reformation is when wrong things become right or righteous in God's sight. So we've been spending a good amount of time setting this up where it begins in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your finances. And then it begins to go from inside you, reformation inside you, into every part of your life. So this morning we're going to be talking about reformation in our families. How many excited? All right, so the title of this sermon this morning, well not sermon, we're, we're gonna be ministering together, which I'm really excited about. But what we're gonna be ministering on is four relationships to reform in the family. Before we begin, yeah. can I pray over this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's pray. So Lord, I pray right now that your word is true, let every man be a liar. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you breathe right now upon your words? I pray right now that Rama would come alive. I pray right now your word would become alive. Holy Spirit, we submit this conversation to you, this time to you. I pray that you would uh, interject your thoughts and your ideas into this conversation. Holy Spirit, we say we want what you yes. want, so show us what yes. you want. Teach us how to reform our families. Lord, yes. we declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. So I say any distractions, any witchcraft, any fear, any offense, spirits, you must leave. Holy Spirit, come rule yes. and reign. It's Father, I thank you that it. nobody came to hear us. Yeah. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, speak Lord. Lord. Your servant's Lord. listening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. 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 Four areas yeah. of reformation in relationships. Yeah, so I don't know if you've noticed the attack in the recent years on the family unit. You've seen the attack against biblical marriage between man and a woman, an attack on our children and teenagers and their identity. And so we really felt it was important this year of leaning in, like you shared before, that we're not just, uh, I mean, most importantly, asking the Lord to personally reform us, but then we're allowing that power and that presence of reformation to reform our family, our marriages, all of it. And so the first relationship this morning that we're getting into is your relationship with the Lord. This is where it all begins. This is where everything and every relationship flows from is either a strong relationship with the Lord or the lack of a strong relationship with the Lord. And so there's two things we want you to prioritize in your relationship with the Lord, and you're not gonna be surprised, Mercy Culture, that the first one is daily encounter. So we're not just repeating this to repeat this. Yeah. We're repeating it because it's important. We don't just get up in, on Sunday mornings and just rehearse, hey, uh, we take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with We've God. The reason why this is so stinking important is I've been serving the Lord almost my entire life. I was raised in a pastor's home. I remember giving the Lord uh, my life to the Lord as a child. I was raised in church, raised in the house of God, and I have watched more people than I could remember fall away from the faith and not make it. And the ones that don't make it all have the same story. They had a relationship with the church, a pastor, a worship or movement, people. a worship ministry, something else but God. And here's what I'm telling you, guys, it doesn't work. Your relationship with the Lord, Christianity, following after Jesus does not work. You will not last. You will not last the trials of life, the tests of life without an intimate relationship with Jesus. So we didn't get a marketing company be like, hey, how do we build a church? What sounds like a catchy slogan of a vision we should have? If you cut this op us open, this is what we believe. We've been doing this for decades yeah. in our own personal life. I yeah. can't live without it. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good man. Uh, one of the pastors on our team joked, they're like, their spouse said, yeah, we could tell if the other person by noon hasn't had their daily encounter <laughs> because it's a bad representation of you. So these have changed our lives. How has yeah. daily encounters changed your life? I mean, I'm, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And so I think a lot of you think of a daily encounter. How is it changing me today? 
but focus on the man and woman that you want to be five years from now and your consistency in daily encounters will show you who that man or woman is five and 10 years from now. And I remember at some of the hardest moments in our life, I mean, going through 10 plus years of trials and tribulations, being fired from churches and confronted and spiritually aborted by spiritual parents, losing babies, our children, I mean, devastation, but this place of intimacy with the presence of the Lord that kept us. This place in the presence of the Lord that he spoke words and it was the revelation, it was the encouragement, it was the comfort that we needed. It was what our marriage needed, it was what our faith uh, needed to say, we're gonna try again. We're gonna try for another baby after three miscarriages. It was in the presence of the Lord that our life has been transformed and- I wanna, uh, say, th I wanna say this. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I, no, this, this, is, this is important, she's, she's talking about like our journey and sometimes you can look at your leaders and you're like, man, you know, our pastors are so strong and they're so bold and they go on social media and, and, and they get roasted and, and we, they get articles about us. Man, they're so awesome. And I want to let you know, 99% of the time, we don't feel like that. So we feel the same weaknesses, the same insecurities, the same fears, this, all of that same stuff that everyone feels, we feel but we just go into our daily encounter and bring it all there. And then I just tell the Lord, this is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. I, 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 I feel afraid. I feel weak. I don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. I've never done this before. I've never led a church through a global pandemic. I've never led four campuses and, and 100 staff members. And, and I, I haven't gone through this. Lord, what do you want us to do? What pleases you? And literally just talk to him about it. It is wild. You can go into your daily encounter so weak. And here's the beautiful thing. He talks back. And then he whispers to you and tells you something. And then I come out feeling like I can run through walls. I'm like, let's go, media in Fort Worth. Let's go, uh, government. Let's go, political spirit. Let's go, whatever we're taking on. And watch, there are, I don't have different answers. Nothing new happened. The same situation that I went into the daily encounter feeling weak with, I'm still in that same situation. The difference is, is I met the God of the giant slayer in the quiet place. The difference is, is he whispered to me, he ministered to me, or my favorite, he delivered me. Guys, pastoring you is tough. Y'all got problems. And then you blame me when they don't work right. I, mean, I have to tell myself all the time, like Jesus was the greatest leader on the planet and he had Peter that denied him, Judas that betrayed him, and many fell away. Like, it's, it's impossible. I'm joking, but here's what I'm telling you. It, it is, I'm a little serious, but <laughs> you go into the secret place, you go into your daily encounter, and you just spend time with them. And here's what I want to address real fast, is so many people don't do it because you did it twice or three times or for a month, and you didn't feel anything, or you didn't hear anything, and you're like, oh, this isn't working for me. Listen, the goal is not for you to feel or hear God. The goal is for him to feel and hear you. And then what happens is, is you look up. I tell the SLS students all the time. You look up after years of doing this and you had God encounter and God encounter and God encounter and deliverance moment, deliverance moment, and all of these crazy things that take place because we just remain consistent in doing this. And here's the thing. You don't get to choose your supernatural encounter, but you do get to choose your daily encounter. and It'll be the best decision of your life. If your pastors had one prayer for you, if we had one prayer for you, it was that you would hunger and thirst for the Lord. And I'll tell you, every single time I go into a daily encounter, I take a bite, I get to taste of that goodness. I get to taste of how amazing and pure and beautiful and holy he is. And when you bite Texans into a really good Texas steak, you want another bite. Can you tell she's still fasting? I'm still fasting. Like all of her analogies have been about food this <laughs> I morning. I went from cinnamon roll for a service <laughs> right. to steak now. But I wanna encourage you, as you get into his presence more and more, you will begin to hunger and thirst for more of him. I don't know what books you're reading right now, but here's some practical advice. Lay down your seven steps to greatest success or how to build your best business. Lay that down. Because those are the things at the end of the day that you can't take to heaven with you, but that you're chasing after and is all that you're gonna birth. Or, 
you get into some old revival books by G.H. Knight and the secret of his presence, the pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, and you begin to enter into this place of hunger where you're driving in your car to work and you can't listen to the same stuff on the radio anymore. You just got to talk to him. You just have to tell him how much you love him. You just have to tell him how much you're thankful for him. When you're laying your head down at night, you're just whispering to the Holy Spirit how much you love him. Good night, Holy Spirit. Grabbing your spouse's hand and saying, let's end our day in the presence of the Lord. Last night as I was putting Porter to bed, he said, mom, I don't want to have bad dreams. I think I'm going to have bad dreams tonight. I said, no, you're not. I said, I want you to fall asleep saying, come Holy Spirit, come. I said, I want you to just say it over and over and over until you fall asleep. My five-year-old went to sleep in a daily encounter last night. And I encourage you that a daily encounter is not a checklist. It's not a to-do to accomplish for the day. And if you don't accomplish it, then you have shame. So therefore you throw it out like your exercise plan that you said you were going to do in January. Come on, this is relationship. This is everywhere that you go. You are inviting him in. You are asking him about what pleases him. You are inviting him into your workspace in every single part of your day. This would be our prayers for you as your pastor is that you daily encounter that you, you hunger You for brought him. up the book on The Secret of His Presence by G.H. Snyder. If you can throw up on the screen again as one of them. Uh, I read this book about 10 years ago and it's a short, simple book written about 100 years ago. And what I love about this book is he's talking about the busyness of life yeah. and how life has gotten away from us. In his examples are horse-drawn carriages. Like, it, there's a hustle and bustle in the, in the square. Like, it's like Charles Dickens, like a Christmas story, okay? And that was before the technology that didn't leave your hand and that everyone in the world can get a hold of you in your bed. And how much even more today, which brings me to something that God put on our heart for, uh, for you this week. As we were praying about this service, we really felt prompted to challenge you, some of you correct you, some of you warn you, but to encourage you to make sure you're Sabbathing. Yeah. Making sure you honor the Sabbath. Listen, it's not just an online service we do once a year. We're like, yeah, if you should take a day off, that sounds good. The Bible says it. No, no, no. The Sabbath is the only commandment that the average Christian like willingly breaks. We're like, hey, have you committed adultery this week? You're like, no, of course not. No, I'd never, what? No. Have you murdered someone this week? What? No. Like, yeah. hey, did you break the Sabbath? You're like, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, for some quiet. reason, it right is quiet, now. isn't it? And for Get some them. reason, Get <laughs> we've devalued God's word and we're like, hey, this commandment is okay to break. And I want, you, I want to be aware. Listen, it's not that it's a rule that if you don't not work, God's going to punish you. No, the Bible says that God made it for you. And you're missing out on, on connecting with the Lord. You're missing out on miracles. You're missing out on supernatural provision. Because you think if you don't work hard enough, that God's not going to bless you or you're not going to get to your goals. But here's the problem. You're not going to get to where you're trying to go healthy. You're going to miss out on this journey. We had to learn this. You had to learn this as well. Yeah, I want to read this scripture really quick. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10 says this. So then there remains, so there remains, it's not Old Testament. He's saying this in the New Testament. It remains a Sabbath rest for who? For the people of God, for you. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Can I just tell you this morning and encourage you that God is perfectly almighty, powerful, and never gets exhausted and tired from all of our mess. He's God. He did not Sabbath and rest because he was exhausted from creating the heavens and the earth. He rested as a model for his creation what was best for us. And I'll tell you this, I got wrecked. When I, when I got into real estate years ago, um, I, I was working around the clock every single day. It was Monday through Sunday. And then I'm getting frustrated with clients because they're calling me at 10 o'clock at night. They're calling me at 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, do these people think that they own me? Not as frustrated as I, I was clients. getting with your clients. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, we went on a fast. We literally fasted, the two of us, for some of our clients, for uh, some of my clients, for their house to sell because I was praying prayers like, Jesus, take me home. Like, I'm ready to go home. These people will put me in that place to be like, I'm ready to be with you. So we go on this fast. I'm bringing all my frustrations to him, and he just rebukes me. 
And he says, you're not Sabbathing. And in my arrogance and pride back to him, I say, oh, you don't Sabbath in the real estate world. You work around, you, you, I, I Sabbath in somebody that calls me, that needs me, and we miss out on a deal or a moment or a title company, and I'm going on and on, and he's just listening to me go on and on. He says, if you're not gonna listen to me, then go listen to these podcasts of Pastor Robert Morris on the Sabbath. So I go start listening to them, and I'm telling you, I got hit with a holy conviction. Pastor Robert Morris says, those of you that think that you don't need the Sabbath, what you're really saying to the Lord is that you can accomplish more in your own strength in those seven days than what you can in six days with God working for you on the seventh. It hit me in the heart. I didn't see the fact that I thought that I didn't have the time to Sabbath as it being pride and arrogance in my, in my heart that I trusted my own ability greater than God's anointing, pleasure, and favor on my business. The moment I began to Sabbath, I mean, it was like the next week, the moment I began to Sabbath, I'm telling you, no extra marketing dollars, nothing. My business completely exploded. By the end of that year, I was a top 10 realtor at Magnolia Realty under Chip and Joanna Gaines and had no idea they're gonna call my name because I worked hard and I Sabbathed well. I was gonna say hard, but I Sabbathed well. You did. But it was the principle of rest. And I remember as they called my name to honor me in this moment, the Holy Spirit saying, as you honor the Sabbath, I'm honoring you and your work. And uh, I just, I, we felt like there was supposed to be a warning and a challenge to the body of Christ, to businessmen, women, people in this room, that your, your badge of honor is how hard you work. Can I tell you, can you just lay that down? Let God anoint the work of your hands and multiply what he's entrusted you with through Sabbathing. It's good. Speaking of you not listening to me, number two <laughs> area to reform is the relationship with your spouse. <laughs> Did you see that segue? It's like I'm a professional. That was so good. Uh, a broken uh, clock is right twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> she said once a day in the first service. <laughs> I gave you the twice. Okay. I gave you twice now. Thank I was you. like, oh, I relent. Okay. Two times you're right. Okay. <laughs> I was about to tell the church how in love I am with you, oh, and I'm rethinking me. about tell how. Tell me, how to I want to hear it. No, I, I, I am genuinely year <laughs> after year after year getting more and more in love with you as a friend, uh, as my wife. We work together as co-labors, um, and uh, it's so fun. And it wasn't always fun, but <laughs> but we've really worked hard on yeah. our marriage. But we could look back and say the last five, seven years, it gets better every yeah, year, year after year. And I just want to let you in on a little pastoral insight. Uh, it's like 99.9% .9 of marriages that are struggling, you have one spouse or if not both spouse, not daily encountering. Yeah, 100%. If you want to look at a marriage that is struggling, you'll have individuals that are struggling to daily encounter. Because here's what I have found in the last 18 years of marriage. Every time I take a problem I have with Heather into my daily encounter, the Lord corrects me. I, I kid you not. There has not been one time, there hasn't been one time that I'm like, Lord, deal with your daughter. He's like, I will, but I'm going to deal with you first. And ma'am, that was a little too loud. That was a little too loud. Just... Just, we need order in the church, and I just want to let you know. Just keep going. <laughs> okay. Just talk about dealing with yourself. <laughs> that with was me. a good part. <laughs> but, but, but it's true because you'll be blinded to your own stuff, and yeah. you just think that they're the problem, and then you bring your spouse into your daily encounter, and God begins to speak to you. Look, we all know the blame game. It is so much easier to see everything that is wrong in your spouse and not yourself. You're like, we just have our list of all of our stuff that they need to fix. And, and then the Lord's like, and what do you need to fix? And you're like, I think I can find one thing. You know, but this is, the, this is the conflict of marriage is that we can find all these things wrong and we're focused on trying to change them instead of humbly coming into the presence of the Lord, into our daily encounters, praying what David prayed, search my heart, oh God. And if there's anything in me that offends you, can you imagine a husband and a wife both in their daily encounters praying this prayer, Lord, deal with me, and then these are the moments that humility comes because all of a sudden it's that scripture with a plank in our own eye. He begins to deal with it. And there's this beautiful unity that comes to a marriage where now instead of fighting each other, 
we are taking on the world together. And, and a lot of times when we've had conflict, and we have conflict, people say all the time, <laughs> like, do, like, do we have to agree on everything to be members of Mercy Culture? I'm like, well, then Heather and I both couldn't be members of Mercy <laughs> Culture. Like, we disagree constantly, and that's, and that's okay. There's things that we disagree about, but we've learned how to navigate disagreement. Even to the earliest of days where we got yeah. in this massive fight over was, what to name our kids. No, it was like months. Yeah. I, it might have been like a year. It was ridiculous that we were fighting over kids' names because Landon had the most horrific names picked I, out for our I children. I wanted to name our kids. I was kid. like, have you even, have you even like looked up what these names mean? I like, thought I'm not Steve Panate was a good name. <laughs> Just kidding. We haven't even met Steve at this part stop, of our relationship. All right. Stop. So, so we're on a walk this one day. Well, no, I mean, I think we both got sick of each other in the fights. And so we had separately decided like, we're, we're going to go and bring this to the Lord. I didn't tell you, you didn't tell me but we're sick of each other. And so we, we go and we begin to talk to the Lord about it. Well, we should have done from the beginning. Yeah. And we're on a walk one day and we're walking around this lake and he goes and he grabs my hand and he says, have you been praying about the names of our kids? Have you been talking to God about the names of our kids? I was like, maybe. And then he just softens with a smile and says, the Lord spoke to me in a daily encounter. The Lord spoke to me that the names that God gave you for our children are the names that he's given for our children. Tears just come down my face. But in one moment, unity comes into our marriage. Healing comes into our marriage because we both decided instead of fighting in our flesh for who was right, got into the presence of the Lord, hear, heard from God, and there was beautiful unity. So let, let me give you two things that have reformed our marriage that has taken it from struggling to okay to thriving <laughs> after 18 years. Two priorities. One, we prioritize forgiveness yep. and we prioritize unity. These are the two things. And, you know, forgiveness and unity are values of mercy culture because they've been values of our marriage. And the truth is this, is where you stop forgiving, you stop spiritually growing. And when you stop forgiving each other in your marriage, your marriage will stop growing. And this is a, a tough thing, especially for being a man and you got those you know, prideful macho things is I have to be able to be able to admit and communicate when a girl hurts me. A girl? Yeah, my wife. And here's the Better. thing is she doesn't have, she has more, she has the ability to, to bring life to me or to hurt me. And so she could say something that just cuts me to the core and I got to be able to communicate that and not just trying to turn on her and try to cut her back. And so we've had to learn how to communicate when our feelings have been hurt. And here's the thing is, is you love each other to death, but you also hurt each other's feelings and you do things that hurt each other. And so forgiveness is so important for your yeah. marriage to thrive. I'm convinced the scripture of forgiving 70 times seven, they were speaking about marriage because who surely is in your life that much to forgive somebody other than your spouse? And I think we get caught up in this place like my spouse is doing this over and over and I've already forgiven them. So therefore, because I've forgiven them for this thing, I don't have to forgive them anymore. This is a partnership with the root of bitterness. And when bitterness gets into your heart, your heart will begin to harden. And not only will it destroy your marriage, not only will it destroy other relationships around you, it will destroy your relationship with Jesus. This is important. Because here's the thing, when you, when you let a bitter root in where you stop forgiving and your heart begins to harden, no longer can you hear the voice of the Lord. I think many of you maybe this morning is like, why can't I hear his voice? Why has his presence felt far from me? Is there bitterness, a bitter root? Is there unforgiveness that you have been harboring because forgiveness softens but bitterness hardens? I'm gonna lean in a little bit deeper here and just say this, that your justification is your greatest deception. Many of us are right about a lot of things and because we're right, like I was joking about how often I'm right in a marriage, that it can actually be our greatest deception that I'm gonna hold on to this against him because I'm right and now the enemy has a foothold in my, in my marriage because I'm hard-hearted and I'm not offering forgiveness. This is what Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 says about this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So we just talked about forgiveness, but it it creates this ability to be in unity. Yeah, and unity prepares the way is when your relationship gets yeah. fun. Yeah. And and you can you can focus on all the things you disagree with and how different you are and all that stuff, or you okay. can begin to learn how to focus on finding unity, uh, fighting for unity. And when you find it and when you fight for it, that's when your marriage starts thriving and you start having fun. Uh, I, I've noticed this over the pattern of of the last probably five to ten years where we have been more and more unified because we've been strategic about it. And we're gonna give you some practical stuff for how we have found a yeah. continuation of unity. I wanna say this first, unity does not mean you agree on everything. Obviously. We do not agree on everything, he says obviously, because <laughs> we see everything almost opposite. We'll take out of this place and I will go left and he will go right. Just every single time. The, the next time I go right and he will go left. That is just how it is. What he thinks is an awesome looking couch or car. I'm like, that is horrific. I never want that. I just want to put it out there plain. Don't ever surprise me with that. I don't want it. We see things very In differently. our early days of marriage, I bought a yellow SUV and brought it home. I'm like, look what I bought. And she made me I, return it. I said, it. that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if you can return a car, but you better beg you can return that car. Unity, unity. That car. Okay, back to unity. You don't have to agree on everything. So you come into a place of unity when it's found in the presence of the Lord. Okay, and so, so that's how we come into unity. Four tips for unity. First, of daily, what I was saying, daily, daily encounters. encounters. We hit it. We hit daily encounters. Two, we do this, weekly meetings. And so personally, we do this in the evening. We'll find an open evening after we put the kids to bed and we will take 30 to 45 minutes and we will get on the same page about everything that's coming up that next week. But for real talk for a second, some of the biggest fights we've ever got in are like over, like you're picking up the kids. I'm in a meeting, I'm in a meeting. I had this plan, I had this plan. And and we miscommunicated. Yeah. Uh, we both work, we both have very busy lives. And so there's a lot going on in our lives. And so we gotta be really strategic about how we communicate. Communication. And, and it's been a game changer for us to thrive together and remain in unity. Which is also a value of this house. And what we say is we downshift. And when you downshift, it allows you to go forward faster. And so we have these little mini meetings, him and I, every single week where we're just getting on the same page, coming into unity. What is God saying over our house? What are our kids going through right now? What's coming up on our calendar? What are we saying yes to? What are we saying no to? When is our family night? So that no matter what invite that we get on this night, this is time for our family. So three weeks doesn't pass and we haven't seen each other. It's where we get on the same page and we just bring uh, organization and order to our house. And then we go on at least two date nights a month. Yeah. And that's where we just engage with each other. Yeah, we turn everything off, everybody off. The only two people in that moment that exist in the world to us is us. And uh, we love on each other. We talk about life. We dream together. And then this is really funny. Landon dropped this one on me years ago. And we, we sit down at this nice restaurant and he says, I want you to grade me as a husband on a scale of one to ten. I was like, yes, I have been waiting for this moment. Yeah, right. My She's like, you're a 10. Life. You're amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I know. You are a no. nine and a half, babe. <laughs> 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 but, uh, and then he will ask me, and then you tell me that I'm also a 10. Yeah, no, yeah. That's not how this goes. How no. it really goes is we're super intentional in and the honest. moment. And honest. And then uh, your awesome second backup question was this, what will bring me to a 10? Now this is important because <laughs> there's a lot of people that are habitually unhappy in your marriage because you can't be pleased. And you have unrealistic expectations and you've set something you in your mind that's not real. Okay, it's like the people that are like, well, how do I Sabbath with kids? Like, you still steward your children. Like, okay, you, you have to Sabbath with the ages of the children you have. Figure it out, okay? <laughs> like, we all have to do it together. It, it, but, but people do this in their marriages where they never identify, well, what would be a 10? What am I really looking for? H how are we thriving together? And so when I say what would it take to be a 10, I'm making her articulate what's in her heart and what her expectations are so that we work together and build a stronger yeah, relationship. It's not a time that we're tearing each other down. And that's why we say that we never try to work on our marriage in an argument, but we wait for the date moments when there's love, when there's unity, when there's honor in that moment to be able to challenge one another. But it's also a moment that we're like, we're in this together. 
I'm gonna help him in it and he's gonna help me in it gracefully and kindly and not two days later be like, I just knew it was the steakhouse moment that you were just trying to ask me and tell me, but now you're just back to all your old ways. <laughs> I, just, I just hit a chord right there. And so after we share in that moment, days and weeks later, we are graciously, kindly, hey, do you remember that moment when we had this conversation? This is, this is an example of that moment where it hurts me when you do things like this want, or when you say things like this. I want to challenge the men. Listen, we're not saying you have to go to steakhouse every time you go to on a date twice no. a month, but you have to pursue your wife and you have to engage with her. You have to chase her like you are teenagers. Don't get in a rut that you've been married for 10 years, 15 years, and it is what it is, okay? Quit being a bum. <laughs> this, this is important. Listen, spirit, listen. You're spiritually leading. Yeah. You're like, oh, my wife's not meeting any of my needs. You don't meet any of hers, dude. <laughs> so, but but this, is, this is important. This is when you chase her like you did when you were kids. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been married, okay? Yeah. This is where yep. you keep romance alive. This is where you keep passion alive. This is where you keep friendship alive. And this is where you really have fun together. And so if it's walks or drives that we go on or whatever it is, typically we just want to spend time and talk when we go on our dates. We'll find something to do that. But it's really, really important for your marriage. Yep. And then we also plan a yearly, a once-a-year marriage retreat. And so we went through this last year and uh, we gave you guys actually, um, what do you call it? Like an outline yep. for a marriage retreat so you to could text push marriage. you to do these marriage retreats. You could you text marriage text? and we're not going to go into it because we did it last year, but everything that we go, uh, go through on our marriage retreat and the guide, you can text that and you can go through it. We've heard amazing stories yeah, of people that have gone on marriage retreat and it's how they've strengthened their marriage. Okay, third relationship we want you to uh, reform is your relationship with your children. And I want to point back to a prophetic word that came out in the beginning of the year that there would be order in your home. And again, I want to keep talking to the men because the men are the spiritual leaders of the home. And so order starts with you. And a lot of, a lot of uh, households are out of whack because you, you, you have given your wife the job to lead spiritually in your home that belongs to you. And so when it comes to setting the tone with your spouse, when it comes to setting the tone with your children, men, it starts with you. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this commandment is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and you may live a long life in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I would encourage you, if you have disobedient children, you will have rebellious teenagers. And where you stop bringing order in your home is the place where the enemy will come to kill, steal, and destroy. And I, I want to challenge every man to take great focus, to take an evaluation on where your home is at, because part of this prophetic word was to bring order. I, I want to tell you something. This is very important. Your greatest responsibility is to steward your children yes. to be men and women of God. That Come is the on. greatest. That is the greatest assignment as a parent. Yeah. I'll say it like this. The greatest priority as a parent is to spiritually lead your children. And this is my concern. And you're going to hear this all morning, even as we minister. But of the chaos and the busyness of life. That we tend to think that it is good parenting. That we're being the best, most awesome, coolest parents by letting our kids do everything. By letting them do all the different activities that they do. And maybe we didn't get that as a child. And so we have oversteered. And the dream has become, I'm going to just let my kid get to do and soak up and be a part of absolutely everything. Because I didn't get to do this. This is an oversteering. And not what God has called you to do to steward your family. He has called you to spiritually lead your family. And my concern is that there are so many parents that are saying yes to so many things that it's been years or ever since you have actually led your children into a daily encounter. But they're playing five sports, but they're at every single birthday party, but they're at every single event that they're so, so their life must be full. It must be great and awesome, but you're not spiritually 
leading them, where they don't have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And so how can you be a father, a mother, training them up in the ways of the Lord that they shall not depart like the word of God says, if we're giving them stuff and yeses instead of spiritually this leading is, and guiding this them. This is really important because we're, we're stewarding reformation. We're making crooked ways straight. And if you're not intentional or aware of your responsibility as a parent, then you'll naturally let things of the culture define success. So as most parents, you think of success is my kid's a professional athlete or they get into a good college to be indoctrinated or they have a career. <laughs> and then if you do those three, one of those three things, you're a successful parent. Well, there's about a 1% chance that they'll be a professional athlete and a 100% chance they'll stand before God and give an account of their behavior. 100%. Come on. No, but how much do you invest into sports or these other things? This is really important. Mark 8 says, what does it profit a man to gain the world yet forfeit his soul? But we think about this as a parent or as adults, but what about your children? So what does it matter if you raise them to be successful in other worldly standards or in business, but they're failures spiritually and they don't know God? Guys, this is so important that you prioritize raising your children spiritually Yep. instead of having your goals be they're successful in extracurricular activities. So we have practical advice for you. Four pieces of practical advice. The first one flows right with this is limit your kids' activities. Uh, pay, pay when, she, first of all, that child, she's passionate about everything. Lord help us steward all of her passions. Um, so she did gymnastics from when she was little, but she gets into junior high at uh, Mercy Culture Prep and there's athletics happening and she wants to be a part of them and we said choose. We know you've done gymnastics since you were little, but do you want to do that or do you want to do athletics through your school? She made the choice. She left gymnastics. She now does is a part of athletics through Mercy Culture Prep. But we knew that we were not going to be on the carousel of chaos for our children to get to do and say yes to everything and not know. Carousel of chaos. Children. It sounds like Carousel a podcast. So our family rule yeah. is one activity at a time. So it's not a sport and a piano lesson. It's not, it's one activity at a time. We'll steward one thing at a time. And that's how we keep order in our home. The second one is this, is get your teens into MC students. Yes. And, 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 and this there's is a move a, of God happening in this there is right a little now. bit of a, of, of a correction. I want to bring there, there, there's so many parents. They're like, Oh, my kids don't want to go. Like, why are you asking them? <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> so they're getting influenced and indoctrinated by TikTok in the world, but you're not bringing them to a place of a move of God in revival. Listen, it is so much easier to lead them at 15 than 25. Yeah, and like, well, they're really not into it. I know, but listen, they're children that you steward and you're responsible for. Yes. Lead them. Teach them what's good for them. And, 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 but I, I want to encourage parents. Listen, I have talked to too many parents that their kids hit college and career and literally start living like hell and living for the world because they did not sow the spiritual seeds they needed in their teenage years. While they're in the teenage years or living in their home, you have a window and you must steward them well. There's a move of God happening at MC students. Get your kids involved in students. The third is this. Lead your kids into daily encounters. And this goes really with, a, with students also, is it takes one moment, parents. It takes one moment in the presence of God that they hear a whisper, that the presence of God floods over them like a river, that tears begin to pour out and the hardened heart softens. It takes one moment. Don't listen to the enemy that it's not working. They're fighting. It's too difficult. I'm just going to give in to their hormones. No, don't give in. They don't know what's best for them. Cast out those hormones. Yeah. <laughs> joking. I'm joking. Number four, okay, and this four. is a fun one. We have weekly family meetings. Yeah. And you can text family to 59090 and you can be sent a family meeting guide that you can take from what we do or adopt and make your own. But let's go through what we do in our fun family meetings. Yeah, the, these, these are really special and interesting. 
every single week. So don't get frustrated with these either. I think Porter, he gets kicked out of well, like... At least once a month. Yeah, about... He gets it's kicked like out Survivor, of... It's like Survivor, like we're voting family members' children out of the family meetings. No. The first thing that we do is we open up with wins and celebrations, and we just yeah. celebrate the kids for different things that they've done, uh, behaviors, things at school, things that we've been working on. We just take time to celebrate they each other. They celebrate each other, which is awesome for the siblings that are usually fighting during the week. All the mo- all of a sudden, they get this tender moment with each other to begin to celebrate uh, wins with each other. And so that's how we open up. Then we go into uh, talking about our family goals. And this is one that is everybody loves. We talk about uh, family fun activities that we want to do. Maybe it's around the house. Maybe it's stuff we want to go do. Vacations, Maybe it's vacations. Trips. Or events. Birthday parties. Things that are important to us as a family. Chickens. And- <laughs> yeah. Yes. So this was about a year and a half uh, conversation in our family meetings leading up to this August that I relented. And we got baby chicks. And it is this beautiful family thing that has been planned where we got to give out responsibilities and watch videos and who's over what. But this was a part of what I call our family dreaming. And this is really important as a family unit or as a marriage, if you, if you don't have children yet, that you are dreaming together that you're letting your kids dream with you and that you are enjoying this time um, of planning for the future what together. What I like about this is the kids get buy-in. So like, hey, yeah. we want to go here. We want to do this. Okay, then it means we're not doing these other things. And if you want to do these things, we come together, make a plan, and then everybody gets buy-in to it and we get to be in unity as a family. The next thing we do is personal feedback where we help uh, our children grow in different areas and then they help each other. They help us. Us too. Also, Preston, this is his favorite part. He yeah. does quite well at He's feedback. ready with feedback every week. <laughs> He's like, can, can I call a family meeting a couple days early? He literally tries to I'm call meetings just feedback. to give me feedback. <laughs> it's awesome. And Landon's like, hey, what about your mom? And they're like, uh, dad, you know what? We have another piece of feedback <laughs> for you. And I'm now, the, the, the truth is, is there'll be these, <laughs> these beautiful moments and, you know, his, his lip will start to quiver. And he's like, Dad, yeah. when you were coaching me and you said this, it hurt my feelings. It just woke my heart. And I'm like, woke my well, heart. do you want to be a good basketball player or not? Joking. And then I'm joining Preston's <laughs> side for feedback. No. no, but he gets to communicate his little heart and we get to grow and be on the same page. And he gets to say, hey, uh, my feelings were hurt in this area. Or when you said this, or when you yelled, like one time we really got, I'm joking about the coaching, but I'm serious. He's like, you're yelling at me when you're coaching. I'm like, no, coaches yell. Like coaches use a coaching voice. <laughs> and so he, he, had to, he had to learn, like we're yelling at everyone. It's like herding cats out there, okay? Like you try it, okay? And, and, and so, but, but you have to learn like, Hey, no, 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 no. Daddy's not mad. This is a coaching boy. And we can get on the same page with this stuff and learn how, how to have heart-to-heart conversation. It's been really beautiful. This is, yeah, this is why this moment is so pivotal in the family meeting because you never know what your child is harboring. Mm-hmm. That in your perspective, it was a normal moment, but in their perspective, they were hurt. And years later, there's something in their heart towards you and you have no idea why there's something in between yours and your child's relationship because you didn't give the space for them to communicate something like this that happened that they were hurt by. And so this is a moment that we're repenting to our children. We're asking for forgiveness with our children. They're asking for forgiveness with each other. But it's, it's become a beautiful healing moment in sharing personal feedback that leads into the next step, which is our plan of action. And our plan of action comes after feedback because this is where we get around each other and we say, as a family, how do we serve you, Preston, to help keep your heart tender? How do we help serve you, Porter, with self-control so you're not throwing your head all over the place and injuring it? Peyton, how do we help you not to ask the same question over and over in five different forms? But this is the plan of action that we will come together as a family and instead of at each other, Now we're unified, we're a team together, we're in this together to help one another accomplish and to spiritually grow. And then we end with the time of prayer and worship where we pray over each other, we pray over the things that we talked about, and uh, we have a beautiful time with the Lord just as a family. Uh, And this is where, just be aware, it it gets silly, it can be messy at times, depending on the kids' ages, uh, and it's something just to, to figure out and steward as a family. But this is something that's really helped 
our family dynamic. It's helped us build culture, be very intentional in our family and develop who we are as a family. And we're all praying. The kids are praying. We're praying. We'll pray over one another. And like he said, it could be messy and it could be two words of a prayer, you know, or it could be Porter that's interceding. And we're like, and close because it's been 10 minutes yeah. of prayer, but it's just, it, it's, it's a beautiful, just spiritual kind of family encounter. Are we show them mercy and let them back in the meeting during yeah. prayer and worship time. Uh, okay. Our fourth one that we want to cover today is your relationship with your extended family. Yeah. So this is really important because I believe uh, so many of us, we're, we're all imperfect human beings as is. And then you throw extended family into the mix that may or may not know Jesus. And because their family, I'm not saying they're manipulating, but the enemy loves to manipulate that all of a sudden we would allow very unhealthy things to take place in our home or around our children or consistently through the holidays because of the word family. And so what we wanted to break down to you is what does unhealthy look like and what does healthy look like, whether or not family is there. If it's unhealthy, you shouldn't be lowering the standard or removing boundaries for your family holidays or for where your children is staying the night at or for a, a culture shift in your household, it shouldn't be compromised for unhealthy family members. So Galatians 5 gives us what healthy families look like and what unhealthy families look like. So it starts in verse 19. You want to read it? And this sure. is what the unhealthy behaviors look like. Now the works of the flesh are evident. It's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, I don't know if I said that word right, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Some of you are thinking this looks like my holidays. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so she made a joke about the holidays, but seriously, we read that scripture, and what if you use this scripture as the lens of what you allow in your home, what you allow around your family, or what you even allow yourself to go to? And she made a really, really important point that just because someone has the, 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 the label family, it doesn't mean we lower the standards of behavior. So here's what I want to tell you today. Listen, healthy people create boundaries. Unhealthy people do not create the boundaries. So you don't let the most unhealthy people in your family continue to terrorize and set the standards and the boundaries for every holiday or gathering. And I know that this could be a little awkward because sometimes you're like, oh, I just want to be loving and I want to show the love of God. No, but you also have to steward your children and the things that you subject them to. And a lot of people go to, on holidays and this is time that should be rest for you and your family and it becomes a war zone. Or they're very difficult times because you don't have hard conversations before the holidays and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. So it gets to November and you have all of this stuff that are, has built up over time that you never address and that's why the holiday things aren't restful and aren't peaceful is because we don't address it when we need to address it. Yeah, the Lord dealt with me about this years ago when he said that we wanna love people. Many of us are believing for family members. We're believing for their salvation. We're believing for their deliverance. And this is that place of manipulation where all of the sudden we begin to lower the standard because the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And this is what I was doing for years with certain family members that I'm believing for their salvation. Love covers a multitude of sins. And then the Lord one day rebukes me and I heard him so clearly and he said, my word also says that the truth will set him free and you've been withholding the truth. And I was standing on this word of love not realizing that truth is loving them also. And the culture of this house, I wanna encourage you this morning, should be the culture of your house because they're biblical values, they're biblical standards where all of a sudden you begin to get to have a lean into awkward conversation and let them know, look, trust has been broken. And this is why trust has been broken, but I love you and I wanna build back trust, but this is what it's gonna take. And you, you lay out what some healthy boundaries are. This is what we call as honor. 
And honor is so essential for a healthy family relationship. This is another value of mercy culture. But what is so beautiful about honor is honor, it goes both ways. Is that you are inviting them to honor the rules of your, your house. The culture, heaven's culture, the biblical ways of your home, how you are raising your children. You're saying, if you want to come into this, if you want to come to this hall, if you want to come to this birthday party, we are inviting you into honoring how, how we run our house according to the fear of the Lord. I want to give you an example. Is that many of our, our family members, they, they drink alcohol, whether they're Christian or not. Landon and I personally chose for our household, we were not. I was a teenage drug addict and alcoholic. Addiction runs rampant in my family. I mean, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my siblings, it is rampant. We made a decision from the beginning. We were not gonna have it in our house. Uh, that was one of the reasons we were not gonna have it in our house of a few other reasons. And so we had those conversations with family members. And this is the thing right here, is right here is so many people just don't wanna have those conversations. And so you allow the chaos, so you allow the situations of other people's unhealthy lifestyles to influence and affect your household, marriage, and your children. Do you know how beautiful the response was when we had those conversations? Awesome. They've honored. All of those family members have never brought alcohol to holidays, to a birthday, to a, uh, into our home, or even around our children when we have gone to their home. They have honored it. And then it's been beautiful because we get to show them honor because the Bible says to honor everyone. I also want to lean into this place of honor is that honor never devalues the word of God. It never dishonors the word of God. And this is where the boundary of honor lies because a lot of people struggle with this, that I love and I honor this family member, but what happens when my girl cousin is marrying another girl? Do I go or not? In this scenario, it is dishonoring or disvaluing the word of God. And so I love them, I pray with them, but I am not going to an event that is unbiblical, that is, is uh, against what our family values and beliefs are. This is really important because we're not saying that you have to infringe what you believe on everybody, despite how much the world tries to infringe everything they believe on us. What we're saying is you set boundaries and then you, you expect the boundaries to be honored and the boundaries aren't honored, you create more boundaries and that creates a distance. If the boundaries are honored, then it, it builds relationship. And so this, it's important that you understand what we're trying to do is we're trying to steward all of these relationships well. We're trying to steward our relationship yeah. with the Lord, our relationship with each other, our relationship with our children, and our relationship with our extended family. And in this year of reformation, what we are encouraging you to do, what we're challenging you to do is to be intentional about taking reformation from your heart, your mind, your finances, your life, then the next step is your family. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 